Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show, brought to you by Jim Garrity and Mickey White. And Mickey, I've never felt better about being half a state away from you. <laughs> from a microphone, <laughs> my home office, as you are in your home. And we can converse to our heart's content with, you know, if we, speaking to eventually, once this is up online, to an audience as large as it wishes to get. And none of us can catch coronavirus from each other. Isn't that a wonderful jerky <laughs> technology? Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. Um, once again, my dear friend Jim Garrity, um, you open with what can only be described as obviously the most cheerful news of the week. <laughs> <laughs> that there is a global pandemic coming, and um, and 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 legitimately, this is not something we would normally talk about on the show, right? But is there? Can you turn on any form of media, whether that be a website, television, YouTube? I mean, there it's everywhere, and you know, and I feel like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Jim. I feel wow. like I know you <laughs> like that needed to be said. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but the coronavirus camps can be pretty clearly divided. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And you, you were mentioning the thing about the, the how extensively it is dominating the news coverage at a time when, uh, you know, there's an ongoing presidential primary and all kinds of other, you know, news going on around the world. There was a terror attack in Tunisia this morning. Um, you know, that, that when I was in my uh, learning journalism, they, they made oh. the observation, front page, if, if there's news about the weather, that goes on the front page because the weather affects everyone, right? This is news that could conceivably, and I want to up, uh, underline that point, affect everyone. Uh, mm -hmm. Hopefully, you, if you get it, you're you're the type who you know has a good strong immune system, and it doesn't really affect you all that much. And you just think it was a brief passing cold or something. If you have serious health problems, it's probably going to be a little more serious. If you're older, it's a little more serious. But nobody knows, you know, if this is going to come their way, and that's why everybody's kind of you know glued to the TVs about it. Okay, so uh, I okay, not all of us are glued to the TVs about okay. it. And that's where I think the differential comes in. Let's start there. Because I really believe there's two camps on this, though. I think that there are people like you, and even worse, I think there are people like you who have now apparently cleared the shelves <laughs> Yeah, I, I have not of all of the Purell in the world and, um, and now have begun making their own at home hand sanitizers and which you can do and there's you know you can get the directions online what you cannot do is use tito's vodka because it is only 40 percent alcohol and not the 60 percent that you need to be effective against bacteria so i was I just fyi and i was sitting here thinking you know mickey first of all so this is like the bathtub gin of of, of hand sanitizer, I guess, right? We're, yes, we are now, except for, and I, I just want to, I, I agree. I just want to step in and say, though, that is clarification that we are talking about the bathtub gin of hand sanitizers because Tito's is an excellent vodka. Yeah, Continue. Oh, I, you know, I was just saying, I can't, I, I was hearing people groaning about it and I was probably, I've, I've never, I mean, again, I'm not a huge vodka drinker. I, I usually go for the brown liquors of types, you know, the bourbons, the whiskeys, all that stuff, but, uh, 
You know, that that really doesn't... Uh, I, I was surprised to see people making those kind of jokes. I was also a little unnerved to see the Tito's people feeling the need to put out that statement. Um, mm-hmm. uh, well, know, they're brilliant, I, though. Isn't that brilliant marketing, though? Well, How much free advertising is Tito's Vodka getting right now? It is. And mm-hmm. actually, interesting to see if you see sales purchasing. Uh, the, the ad... Got, I, I, I bought aviation gin because of uh because of that see i don't think i'm buying tito's just because of a fear of a a run on tito's um but but it'll get people talking about tito's and then people will say oh tito's is a good vodka anyone who's ever had it would like it so all right so mickey are you have you is anybody you've encountered freaking out about this Yes. And again, I was going, thank you for bringing me back on track because there are in fact two cans. One of the people I know personally is on the other end. That'd be you. You're freaking out about this. Um, I have other people that are very like suddenly concerned. What I, what I think my friends are most concerned about is the fact that clearly people don't wash their hands and use sanitizer all the time. Yeah, <laughs> because there was a huge run on it. And I think none of my friends were freaked out about it because and, and maybe it is because so many of my friends work in the healthcare field. Mm-hmm. Um, we are all kind of and have been for years very much wash your hands and use the hand sanitizer because people are filthy, disgusting. People are bad creatures. And so um, there are germs everywhere. And so I, I don't know if that's why my friends are more like that, but they're much less inclined to be freaked out as well because they're already doing the things that they feel like they can do. Um, but also my friends, and you, and you know this, are not super plugged into like the news and whatnot. But again, now you've got where coronavirus has, has because there are memes about it that are hilarious, by the way. <laughs> And I don't care what anybody says. Like, if we're all going to die, at least we're going to laugh about it. Um, and that would be, like, the most American way of going down right there. All wrapped up in our black humor. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think that there is a camp like myself and, and probably the majority of my friends who are, okay, you know, you need to be aware of this. Try to avoid, you know, certain situations. Make sure you're washing your hands a lot. Um, but... It, you just have to do the same practical things that you would do to get any other communicable disease like the flu or something else. I'm not, I am not saying it is like the flu. I am saying that yeah. it is spread very similarly. So, um, and of course through fecal matter, which don't even get me started. Well, you know, say, you've, you've heard this discussion from me, which I can't. For those of us who are not <laughs> a huge fan of the alleged, you know, alleged hot air dryers in public bathrooms. Oh, if it's a, like if it's a, uh, if the, the only ones that are okay are Dyson, right? Yeah. If it's Dyson, they, you feel like your hands are going to fly off. You're going to come well, out. But Dyson has filters. It, yeah. They actually have filters in them. Yeah. The other ones do not. So they're just circulating hot air. That's been dirtied for hours and hours and hours. So if you see one of those run and get a paper towel or hand sanitizer. I, and stuff. I understand for a while. Like, oh, it's better for the environment because, you know, you're not using paper products or something. There's nothing worse than washing your hands. You've done it well. You've used soap. You've done all the things you're supposed to do. And you have one of those old fashioned ones. So you press the little square metal button, which, oh, by the way, you know, everybody had to touch. Now, the good news is your hands are clean. And presumably everybody else had clean hands when they pressed that button. But all that comes out is a. Uh, 
Uh-huh. And it's the it's basically someone blowing at your hands. It's really like that's that's all you're getting. Yeah, that's you know, and, and you're shaking your fingers around. So now you're now you're you know water's flying around the bathroom and all that kind of stuff. Well, Not, and so, again, this yeah. is one of the reasons why I'm I, I'm very big on hand sanitizer as well. I have it in my purse. I have it in my car. I'm sure I've grossed some person out in a bathroom where I've come out taking a look at my options. <laughs> and just walked out and put the hand sanitizer on instead. I was just um, about to say, you know, um, I think we should just load up super soakers with yeah. Pure you get them like because it, <clears throat> long before this, as you know, like, like I said, I, you know, I had kind of been freaked out about these things, and I would walk into obviously specifically public restrooms. You walk in and you take a look, and you're like, hmm. <laughs> this doesn't look right. Like, I don't think this is a good idea. And again, I I am 100% certain I have freaked somebody else out who was like, oh my God, she didn't wash her hands. That's right. Because mm-hmm. I saw nothing but bacteria here. And so I went out to my car or in my purse and dumped hand sanitizer all over myself. Um, and I like I said, because you look at some of them, there's like puddles of water. And then sometimes there's the puddles of the soap. Mm-hmm. You know, just kind of piled up there. And, and and especially when right now you're in a situation where, you know, every 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 little type of bodily fluid or excess fluid makes you a little nervous. That's not something you want to see. Um, I, I was going to say, I have, thankfully have, you know, not been in anything resembling this kind of circumstance. But uh, <laughs> listeners know. Uh, I write for Na- I write for National Review. We do cruises usually every year, and one oh of the God. years on our cruises, somebody got sick. Mm. Not with anything, you know, it wasn't Ebola, it wasn't anything dread or anything like. But it was the sort of thing where uh, they had to put in all kinds of precautions, and among them were um, you could not uh, serve yourself any kind of food whatsoever. At, at, you know, and most of them are like cafeteria style, or you know, you go up with your tray and all that stuff. They Shut had to down the buffets, right? Yeah. Um, they had to, uh, there was a library on board and they had these kind of like, uh, great type things over. So if you, you peek through the grate, try to see if you can read the title. If you wanted a book, ask them, they would get out their key. They would open pull up the grate, take out the book and give it to you. Very, you know, and I remember walking down one hallway and like all of a sudden there was like staffers and they just waved. I mean, of course they're, you know, mostly I assume Indonesian or Filipino or, and so English is not their first language or other stuff, but they're just waving at me and they've got, it looks like full chem bio suits. Uh, and they are spraying stuff down with some sort of equipment that looks like it's out of some dystopian sci-fi, you know, Rube Goldberg contraction. So I just looked at that and said, uh-oh, okay, all right, yes, sir, not going. <laughs> Turned around and walked down another hallway. Like those uh, shots from China where they had those like just, giant yes. hoses like washing down the streets yes right. i saw that so what what makes you so calm and confident mickey or is it just a a general sense of when you you know you deal with the stuff you've dealt with in life you're like nothing scares you anymore and you just deal with <laughs> <laughs> well i i, I want to come back to why my dealing with it and whatnot but first i want to address the cruise situation because this week and this well this this entire situation really has proven my lifelong theory of you're never going to get me on a cruise and add to my new list is they have been quarantining thousands of people on boats where some of them are sick and some of them are not. And they're making them all stay on these big giant floating hotels basically Mm -hmm. with again, re what do they do with their air, Jim? 
Oh, recirculate they it. Yeah. They recirculate and recycle the air. They kept people that were like supposed to be on a seven day cruise. They kept them quarantined for 30 days. Yeah. I mean, that's. These are Americans. That would be, you would have happened. I would have jumped off. I would have been oh, jumping no. off that boat. <laughs> I would have never made it. There is zero chance I would have been able to handle that for 30 days. There And now, congratulations, Carnival and everybody else who participated in this. You'll never get me on one. Because what if you were on a three-day cruise? Yeah. Mickey you do like is, a three-day shot to the Bahamas, right? We, and they we, come yeah. back in and like, oh, sorry. We'll be back so, in a month. So, so sorry. You, you actually can't get off this boat now. You're trapped here. Uh, Mickey, with this, we don't have sponsors. Would this be a good time to let everyone know that I just got my email notifying me that the 2000, I'm sorry, the 2020 National Review post-election cruise is a go for November? <laughs> Brought to you by Holland America. In fact, the Holland America ship they won't let that's over in Asia somewhere. That they're not letting dock in places. I think we were on that one year. I'm um, not trying to be whatever, but what I will say is I have not heard as many complaints about Holland in America, and it could be because their boats are not as big. Uh, could be. Uh, I've only, you know, again, you know, it's not like I select them. National Review selects them. Here's and, what I here's um, what I want to say. Exactly like you have anything to do They are really well run floating retirement homes. Um, <laughs> a, a older crowd, shall we say? Now, if you're young, you go on, come on a National Review cruise. We'll have fun. Presuming, you know, I mean, you may see me in a full moon suit of, of you know, bottled air the whole nine year, whole nine yards. But uh, oh yeah. dear God. Okay, now let's go ahead and take that <coughs> right into why I one know that if anyone I know gets coronavirus, it'll be me. <laughs> is because I am that person that has always my entire life gotten everything going. When I was little, I got the chicken pox. And in addition to getting the chicken pox, even though I had the vaccination, I had the German measles at the same time. Wow. German measles are like highly organized and disciplined and like to Oh, yeah. Yes, that is correct. How did you know? They're very organized. Yes, they ran and they marched in rows and well, everything. Little, little regimented marks across your body. Yeah. Yes. And I had it at the same time as chickenpox because that's how I roll. And then I think we talked about this with our listeners before, but I had mono when I was like in fifth grade. And like basically every communicable disease that children get and or teenagers get. I had it like I had strep throat a million times, like all that crap. And so I am 100 percent. I've had the flu. I had flu B this year. Um, I'm fairly certain I'll end up with this. But good news, I'm not worried about it because um, it is my understanding that unless I am, you know, elderly, which are also susceptible to every other type of virus or young, young babies, which are also susceptible, I'm not going to discredit the, you know, where the, the danger does lie. Mm-hmm. That those who are not in those categories of high risk categories are after receiving treatment um, coming, you know, basically are are back to normal after about 48 hours. Yeah. I, I was going to say, uh, Mickey, you know, for everybody has some you, most people get some experience in their their, you know, teen years or co- uh, and younger years, whether it's, you know, chicken pox or something. And for all extents and purposes, you want to get that out of your way early in life. You know, you want to get mono in fifth grade so it doesn't manifest itself in your second NFL season. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So in, in light of that, you know, the the probably one of the more significant, you know, thank, hopefully you're not exposed to this, dear listeners, and, and your life is going okay, and you're, you're not having to change your behavior very much. But if you were looking for, you're still laughing about Sam Darnold? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead. 
Um, you know, if you let's say you're looking forward to the next James Bond film, it's not coming out this spring. It's now been pushed back to November, in part not just because of fear of U.S. Uh, 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 they can't uh, send anything to China. Yeah, I, the, the worldwide audience is in a different spot. They can't send uh, anything to China right now, and so, we know how that how big that market is to everyone. Well, I was gonna say so, Mickey. Right now, it's like, okay, so, you know, this spring, spring is not a huge season, but we're getting close. You know, the Avengers movies are coming out in April, right? So April, May, June is when you start getting into that summer movie season. Did if you not is- hear what the president said? Yes, Mickey. He said that this flu, whatever it is, coronavirus nonsense will be gone by April. I believe it'll be gone as soon as they find something else to talk about in the media, because okay. one oh, of the Mickey. reasons... That I don't like the coronavirus, like panic, pandemic, whatever, is because it does feel really forced. Like, no, it's and, not. <laughs> oh, you stop it. Oh, it's not. Wash, wash your it's hands, Jim. Okay. But on. we cannot deny the fact oh. that there are other cultures, right? Who have hey, different. Uh, Vicky, I've got to hit pause. I'm getting a call from my dad, and I don't usually get calls from him two in a row. So okay, hang on one go. second. Hey there. Uh, not much. I was actually in the middle of taping something, um, but uh, I saw you called twice, so I figured it might be something important going on. You doing all right? What's up? Oh. <laughs> well, that's a relief because I'm waiting for the, yeah, coronavirus is at Hilton Head or something. So, okay. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. I'm very glad to know that, Dad. Um, love you, and I'll give you a call. I'll give, I'll call the whole part of you, not just your butt. Uh, it'll either later tonight, later today or tonight or something. Okay. All right. Love dad. Bye. Please tell me. You know what? I didn't even that. hit stop recording. I, I, please, because, I was like, please tell me we did, we did not stop recording. Because yeah. So dear world, that is what happens when my dad butt dials me twice. But again, you also understand too, that your dad was not like, yeah, no, Jim, easy on the coronavirus. No. Because, you're like, because you're immediately like, well, I assumed you were calling to tell me that there was coronavirus there. And he's like, yeah, no, I butt dialed. Yeah, it, so props to you, Mr. Garrity. Um, and I'm glad that we this. continue to record because that just makes my point right there in a nutshell. I think that one of the one of the things that we have to be honest when addressing is that we are not a third world country. Sure. We are a first world country. We might be a first world problem country of the highest nature, right? So whereas we do not have outside of places like, you know, San Francisco (laughs) and other places of that nature where we have hygiene problems in our cities and in our streets because we don't allow that. We don't live like that here. We also have different hygiene that we've been taught our entire lives as, you know, because that's the American, you know, norms and practices. That is not the case for the entire world. And when you have a pandemic like this that is passed through bodily fluids and fecal matter and these people are unaware okay, it's, of It's how not to- just bodily fluids, Mickey. We should just make that, you know, emphasis, you know. Yes. Um, so yes, it, it, it's you know. airborne. It's airborne. It's exceptionally contagious. It's airborne. There's like a billion different ways that you can catch it, apparently. But what I'm saying is, in our world, the way in which we live, we wash our hands, we take showers, we flush our toilet. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you are running correct. water. There's what is what is accurate about what you've just laid out there is that 
the the first the initial outbreak is in China. In and one of the reasons I'd never bought into the uh, you know escaped bioweapon theory uh, was mo- mostly a matter of it being um, the, two years ago before anybody even heard of this particular version of coronavirus. I was reading an article in, in I think it was uh, National Geographic magazine or Scientific American that basically looked at China's open air markets and said uh-huh. this is exactly the kind of place this thing is going to you know this sort of thing would manifest. You've got Slaughtering animals, different kinds of animals together, not the most hygienic situation, all kinds of people. You're skinning Don't animals, that. That stuff. Yeah, right? And people eating, a million you know, crowded streets. This this is just like a giant stew for mm-hmm. creating uh, viruses. So that's you know, so by that standard, and again, China's health system is not gonna be up to what ours is. Mm-hmm. China's government is not gonna make decisions the way we are. It clearly was downplaying and, and in denial. Mm-hmm. Um so that's you know that's the good news. We are better prepared than you know than the best. Let me ask you this: Are you one of the people that have bought so many masks that now like they're all sold out? I have not. Now I was with the kids for a doctor's office, and they had masks on the uh, um, on on the counter there, mm-hmm. and I did not take them. But I sat there and I looked at it and I said, "Man, I wonder how much I could get for that." <laughs> <laughs> I resisted the temptation, you know. People really One of the it. funniest memes I have seen was a, um, for lack of a better term, is it? Well, I, I'll we'll say a little plastic baggie full of what appeared to be, um, we're gonna go with eight grams of Purell in it, and the hand was out, and he said, "Hey, I got some of that pure Purell." <laughs> And it looked like a little drug bag full of Puro. And he was going to, I don't know what the amount was for, but it didn't matter because I'm like, this is exactly where we are right now. It is my understanding that on Amazon, if yeah. you wish to purchase um, Purell, the price, they are areas where they're charging as much as like $300 for a bottle of hand sanitizer. You know, it, God it is, bless I, I will capitalism. grant you, Mickey, that it doesn't, you know, whether it's Y2K, and, you know, which, by the way, it's worth noting Y2K was not a made up problem. It was just that all the good programmers of the world went in, made the changes they needed to make and uh-huh. fixed it by the time December 31st rolled around. Um, Homeland Security's color coded chart. You know, we, we've had, you know, and then, of course, the number of times like half of us were supposed to die because of the tax cuts. Half of us were supposed to die because of the net neutrality. And net neutrality. <laughs> um, the conflict with Iran in the beginning of the year was supposed to be starting World War Three. I get why people feel like it, it's, it's you know, the boy who cried wolf for chicken little. Uh, when you, when you're, yeah. You know, but in this case, and again, we're, we're, I, I was just discussing this with uh, uh, a couple other folks. I want like a calibrated level of concern. That I'm not saying, you know, dig a dig a bomb shelter in your backyard, get ready, America is going to look like um, 30, 28 days later, or uh, uh, the Omega so what, Man. <laughs> so, what <laughs> do you think is an appropriate, I guess, preparation for this? Because that's the thing is, it's it's the flu. So I, I don't understand the buying of you know water and toilet paper as though it's a hurricane or a snowstorm. And so I, I would need that explained to me. Um, I understand. Like I said, I get it. And, and certainly with Mr. Bice, I'm in and out of hospitals. I talked about this with you. I am in and out of hospitals like three, four days a week at this point. Um, and I absolutely feel and see people in the masks and feel the desire to put them on. And, of course, like right now my allergies are acting up and I know it's my allergies. But, of course, I'm like, well, it's probably going to be the coronavirus. 
Well, I was say, the other thing is there are a bunch of if you never get coronavirus, this can still cause problems in your life. Uh, not least of which, if you need medical attention and the hospitals are dealing with a lot of cases, you know, look, if you get it and you're at one of those at risk populations, or if you get it really bad and don't notice it until, until too late, you're going to be in the ICU intensive care unit. Like that's, oh. you know, that, that's, that's major stuff. Um, and that is going And the question is, you know, it's not just a question of what's the capacity of our hospitals. What is the ha- the capacity of our nation's intensive care units across the country? Okay, uh, here's my question though: okay. Does everyone end up in an intensive care unit? No. No, not at all. But like you know. So, and we're still talking about cases versus fatalities as far as large numbers, which is good. Don't get me wrong; I'm not downplaying those that we've lost. But again, I just i I get very frustrated, as you know, because my number one concern is this. There is a terrible situation of crawling wolf in this country. And yeah. I just want to know, what do we do when yeah. the wolf comes? That's I, I, that, that I think is the aspect I think is most, intri- well, you know, maybe most frightening, but also most int- intriguing about this is that we now have we've had so many false alarms that we've we, you know, maybe we tune out these things or or maybe just a matter of, OK, we've got now probably a real serious okay you know no joke we got to take you know we got to take some precautions against this um and i think there are some people who aren't comfortable with that which is why you hear people saying you know the real problem here is anti-asian bias (laughs) (laughs) right and it's like no the real problem is this virus that can kill a lot of people it's mostly you know Mostly, maybe it's mostly going to kill people who are like 70 years or old. But I know some people who are 70 years and old. I just spoke to somebody. Right. No, yes, I, yes, yes. No, I un- again, I understand it. I do believe in taking the normal precautions. But I just don't feel like it's one of those things where you, unless there's an outbreak where you do feel the need. You know, obviously, if there's an outbreak situation and they feel the need to quarantine, um, certainly, you know, you got to do it again. That's a preventative measure. A quarantine of two weeks might sound like a lot to us as Americans, but that's also part of the gestation period so they can clean out that area and figure out who's infected and who is not. So as long as you, here's the thing, you know, big question number one, can you work from home or have some sort of situation in which you can, you know, keep your, you Oh, know, talk sick about days. a bell okay. that can't be unrung. Right. You know. Oh, uh, wow. Companies are going to either love this or regret this decision. And I say this because. You and I both have, you know, home offices and we know how much work can actually be done from home Mm -hmm. and other people are about to find that out. And it's going to be very difficult for them to be lured back into the office. (laughs) I I was just about to say that uh, I would, you know, Bloomberg uh, quit the race this week. I I actually read his autobiography from 1997. It's got some interesting stuff in there. Um, But one of the things he's very anti working from home, He, he basically believes it does not uh, it's, it's no good. You know, you, it, it just doesn't, you know, function with the, you know, the speed of business people, you know, uh, he kind of, you know, between the lines you can read, he thinks people are slackers and that they don't work hard unless their boss is looking over them. Well, but again, uh, he's, al- he's almost 80 years old and it depends on the business in which you work in. Yeah. I, I mean, like that is, um, you know, that it was totally, I think, guess what, America, you're, you know, it, it until this passes, you're going to have to get over that concern because you don't want your employees all interacting with each other, right? We've had this weird sense of, uh, you know, it's people who come to work even though they're sick saying, ah, you know, it's not that bad or something. And you throw mm-hmm. in a guy that's 
cubicle. Like, we we got to get serious. This, this we, we might be able to give it a pass sometimes. Can't give it a pass in this circumstance like this. Right, because if, if someone sick, were to get infected, like, that it is a serious enough virus that you would not want your entire staff to get it. Like, let's be realistic. Um, um, I was going to say, as we were just about to log on, I believe up in New York City, uh, which company was it? Basically, an employee tested positive, and everybody's got to go home. <laughs> get, get, get out of the building. And we're all done. Yeah. And everybody's so, working from home today, you know. And that's, yeah, and I, I feel like, like I said, I think it's going to be interesting, all of the unintended consequences of what we're seeing play out here. And I, you know, I do hope and pray that, pray that obviously I am right and you are not. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, let's face it. There are a lot of times when you have to say that I, I am right and you are wrong. And when that happens, it makes me even happier. You have some chart in your, in your home office where you track <laughs> of every time. There have probably been a few small times that I've missed, but I'm not saying it's an play it actual back, chart. You know, you spend special moments and, you know. Yes. And, um, and speaking of special moments, Jim, mm-hmm. I'm going to bring you into a world that the entire internet is just lit a fire about. And it is a Netflix series called Love is Blind. Have you seen that? Have you seen okay, I have not, about I've it? seen it. I have not clicked through and taken a look at it on Netflix, but it seems like everyone is talking about this. So what is so exciting about that? Am I missing out on this or is this just the, you know, the, the flash in the pan du jour? I think that it's worth watching. Okay. Um, I, I watched it and here, here's the story of how this works. Love is Blind is hosted by Nick and Vanessa Lachey. The the couple, they are married and they're the hosts of this dating show. And the premise of it is this. For the first two weeks or 10 days, something along those lines, they are first speed dating and then they slow down and pick individual dates in pods where they cannot see each other. Hmm. So like he's in one he's he's basically on one side of the wall she's on the other side of the wall and they can hear each other talking and whatever but they cannot see each other and so as this you know time progresses some of the couples develop and you can actually see them developing into coupledom and then after they leave the pods we find out that if they get engaged without seeing each other the next step is for them to see each other. Then, from that point forward, I think it's uh, 21 days to the wedding or 30 days to the wedding. And in the next 30 days, they basically go on vacation together. They come home. They get an apartment together. They meet each other's families. Basically, plan a wedding. Do all of the wedding things. And then at the finale is the couples that have survived up until this point, if there are any, and in this case there were, I think, six, six or eight that made it through, um, they got to this point, and what you had, you either said, I do, and if you said, I do, you got married to this person, or if you said, I don't, like, then that was the end of the relationship, and the people didn't know what the other one was going to say, until they got there. So have we had unfortunate, uh, tragic turnabouts where someone says, no, I'm not interested, and the other person was kind of, or? 
Oh my God, Jim, this is, I, these producers are sadistic. I have watched <laughs> a lot of reality TV. They have found new and interesting ways to mess with these people's emotions and to really, really mess with their heads. And I will tell you, I found it fascinating to watch because some of the people you're really, you find yourself like liking and kind of cheering for. And some of the people, like there's a, there's a character named Jessica that later becomes known as Messica. Um, <laughs> that, you know, it, there's interaction between her and, because one of, the, one of the moves that they do, and I hope I'm not giving too much away with this, is one of the moves that they do is they send the couples that have gotten engaged without yet seeing each other when they see each other, they get sent off to Mexico. And they're all enjoying, you know, this romantic time in Mexico. Everyone's having, you know, getting to know each other. And then they come down for dinner. And, oh, by the way, everyone's in the same hotel. So now all of these people had talked to each other at one point or another inside the pod. Some of them had had relationship connections. Ooh, so everybody's uh-huh. trying to figure out who's who and who yes. did I talk to? And uh-huh. Oh, okay, uh huh, yeah. So there are lots of little twists and turns that the producers put in this to certainly make it more interesting. Okay. And I think challenge these people. Um, I was really, really surprised to see the results of the couples that survived versus those that did not. And Again, I don't want to give anything away for anyone who ends up watching it because I I found it to be like it you know it's trash. Like, is it are you gonna <laughs> learn anything? No, no, you're not gonna learn anything. This is called Love Is Blind. Like, what do you think is coming out of this? No, you will not learn the secret to world peace here. However, it is a really interesting show because you see those people. I mean, imagine this, Jim. That you, this is something, I guess, that kind of happens all the time, for the most part, when people meet online, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like, meeting yeah. online and, and talking, and they get to know each other, and then then they make the choice of what have you. But usually, even when you meet online, you put out a picture. It may not be a picture that's recent. <laughs> um, or, the lighting or is flattering. Yeah, it's it's inevitably the best picture you've you've taken. Uh, yeah, obviously. And, yeah. 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 So I I think that that's significant. You know what I mean? As far as like how that <coughs> excuse me how that goes, uh, that's think, the coronavirus acting up. I just want to point oh, out. Stop it right now. <laughs> um. So I think that certainly that goes on. But the idea of literally old school, like letter writing, if you will, or what Mm. have you, where you do not see what this person looks like. And before they see you and you see them, you've committed to get married. Am I crazy for thinking? So this goes back to like Cyrano de Bergenac, right? This idea of Mm -hmm. you fall in love with someone's voice. You fall in love with someone's mind. You fall, you know, like we, it's, you know, we live in a, you know, appearance obsessed society and we've always been an appearance obsessed society all around the world. Beauty and, and, you know, being handsome have always been uh, importantly valued. And everyone kind of fears the idea of, I'm going to guess probably more for women than for men, right? Men, you know, men are probably more common for men to think, oh, she she only marries me for my money or whatever, you know. 
you know, women would like to know that they are loved for being themselves, for who they really are. And it's not just because they look good now and that, you know, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, he won't love me anymore because, you know, my, I, I don't look the way I used to. Right. So everyone wants to find true love, love for that, you know, that's goes, that is more than skin deep. So right. it's, it's sucking people in with that. But the idea of these sadistic uh, producers, Mickey, mm -hmm. like if you subscribe to the idea that most reality shows are terrible. And that you should not want to be a reality show star. Mm -hmm. And that the people who become reality show stars, say the Omarosas of the world, <laughs> are not good people. And are not someone who, uh, you know. Uh, They're not all bad people, though, because do keep in mind my girl, Kim, who now you are forced to follow because she is part of your political beat. Um, <laughs> but my girl, Kim... You know, she's a reality star who has actually done some really amazing things, though. Okay, but you're interesting. Like, she, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I assume she's never been a contestant on a reality show, right? Oh, I'm no, not like a, she was on Dancing with the Stars once. Was she? Was she, she, uh -huh. was a, she was a celebrity guest, I assume. Oh like, no, no, she was actually on competing. It was a very early, early. Really? Okay. Yeah, very, very early on. Yeah, most people become. Uh, who, who are, you know, who compete on that are, are looking to be famous. Like, so uh, ironically enough, the my older son in his English class was watching the Truman Show, the Jim Carrey movie. You remember that mm -hmm. one? Okay. I assume the idea they wanted to illustrate was the idea of, of stories where the world is not what you thought it was. Mm -hmm. right? Plato in the cave, the idea of you think the world is one way and suddenly you wake up one day and know the world actually works very differently than you thought. Mm-hmm. And so we were talking, and I was reminded of Ed TV. Do you remember that one? With, with yes. I like, I like to think of it as a um, True Detective season one prequel uh, <laughs> with Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. Yeah. Because uh, people had said, oh, they look like, the, you know, particularly when McConaughey first came on the scene, everyone was like, oh, my goodness, these guys look like they could be brothers. Uh -huh. So some brilliant casting director said, let's make them brothers. Um, and the gist is this, it's very, ironically, very similar to the Truman show. Like, mm -hmm. like TV network says, we're going to have cameras follow a guy around all the time and let's just see what happens. And to the extent the movie is, you know, it's a comedy. I think Jenna Elfman's in it and, you mm -hmm. know, but to the extent it's got any, um, real comedy in it, any kind of real, you know, or I'm sorry, any real lesson to it. It's that being a celebrity kind of stinks. Mm-hmm. That, that you don't want to have people obsessing over the minutia of your life. You don't want them second guessing or, uh, you know, having strong opinions about your love life or all these things in life. Privacy is underrated, right? Now, mm -hmm. I happen to notice this, this is a movie made by famous people telling you how terrible it is to be famous. Right. <laughs> oh, but but there's kind of this message of most people who want to be famous don't really know what they're in for. And oh, I think I yeah no, I definitely think that that's a, a, an accurate portrayal. So um, the idea I of think reality show producers that want to punish people for that instinct seems kind of appealing to me, Mickey. I kind of like that. I'm idea. telling you, um, they 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 punished them, and I enjoyed all every second of it. I actually even our dear friend Amelia Hamilton, um, I have sucked her into the world and made her watch it as well, <laughs> just so that I had someone to discuss it with. Um, <laughs> Because I felt like I needed a support group <laughs> so that I could discuss all the emotions that I was feeling whenever I was done watching it. And uh, and so so are are they completed with one season? Are they going to do it again? Does everybody kind of understand the? I think that based entirely because they did run a reunion show 
uh, with new episodes. And this was one of those new formats for Netflix where they release like two episodes a week mm. over a four week period, um, which is new for them, obviously, instead of, you know, releasing it so you can binge watch it, they're forcing you to keep coming back for it. Um, but they did have the reunion show, which I did watch and I was fulfilled with a lot of the questions that I had. Um, and it's, you know, it's again, I, there is no doubt they're going to have a second season. This is happening. Um, one is because what, there were a couple characters, and I say characters, but they were people um, who were in this show and participants in this experiment that truly legendary as far as the internet is concerned. Anyone who watched it will be specifically talking about a scene where one of the contestants allows her dog to drink wine. <laughs> And then says, oh, she likes wine. <laughs> All right, there are so, just moments that you can't make up. Um, no, I, I find that very... <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like, and these, these contestants are, you know, the reason that certain reality shows are successful is because of the casting. Mm. And in this case, these people chose each other. And I think that makes it even more interesting. And so, so Love is Blind is all over the place right now. You'll see the hashtag tending. You'll see people talking about it. And I just, I feel like it's something that, you know, it, it, it's, it, you're not going to learn anything. It's not Einstein TV, but it's certainly worth watching. Look, you, you probably need something like that uh, in one form or another. Um, so I was going to say, so this, and this is on Netflix, correct? Yes, this is a Netflix. All right. So. Mm-hmm. A couple of weeks ago, I want to bounce something off you, Mickey. Okay. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, much to my uh, so so, are, are you familiar at all with a children's book series entitled Timmy Failure? No. Okay. So are you familiar with the comic strip um, Pearls Before Swine? No. Okay. So it's by a, a cartoonist named Stephen Pastis or Pastis, so you know. Okay. Um, but he does this series of children's books, and the best way to describe Timmy Failure is: imagine Encyclopedia Brown, boy detective, if the kid was not that bright and kind of a nut job, and you have the and you have the gist right there. Okay. Um, Timmy Failure is this hilarious book. I got them for my sons, and it was one of those categories of like you know children's books you don't mind reading. Uh, or reading alongside with them because you know Timmy Failure is this, um, uh, you know, th- like I said, the, the concept is hilarious. It's this kid who was really convinced he's going to be the world's greatest detective, and he describes having a detective agency, and he's just in adamant denial about everything around him. That every time he doesn't get it, everything is kind of you know, <laughs> this wildly imaginative. You know, clearly this was you know the fact that I could not find my pencil meant there was a conspiracy out to take my pencil, and that you know, and it couldn't possibly be you know. Um, so they decide they're gonna make a comedy film. They're gonna make a, a film about this, and it goes on Disney Plus. And I really, it was directed by the guy who did. Uh, his name is Tom McCarthy, who did uh, the movie about uh, uncovering pedophilia in the Catholic Church up in Boston. Spotlight about the Boston Globe. Right? Okay. So, so the guy goes from this like venue. heavy, serious, dark. You know, I believe won the Oscar. You know, uh, drama film to this. You know, Disney you know, made. Uh, and he brings this really so the, like I said the book is it, like half of it is cartoons it's full of illustrations mm-hmm. um, it's got this really goofy sense of humor I saw the trailer for Timmy Failure before we you know watched the movie as a family but okay I'll jump to if you're saying Jim get to the point I like the movie a lot 
the movie is very different in tone. All the elements that are in the stories are in there. But it, it, it debuted at the Sundance Film Festival, to give you a perspective of this, right? And it, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, the setting, I don't know if the books ever have a very clear sense of what the setting is, other than one Is this going to be one of those situations where you tell me that this is Timmy Failure, but darker? Well, okay. So, Timmy Failure, first of all, they, the setting is in Portland, Oregon, right? So, Portland, as you know, it's this very weird city. It's where the hipsters are. I know Antifa is, like, attacking people in the streets these days. But this is the, you know, early 2000s, uh, uh, you know, this, this is back when of Portlandia, right? Mm-hmm. You know, weirdo hipsters and everything's crunchy and, you know, all kinds of wacky street art and all that stuff. Um, but there's kind of this, sa- oh, uh, it's got Craig Robinson, who's the comedian who was in Hot Tub, Time Machine and all these other things. Um, Wallace Shawn, who is uh, famous for, you know inconceivable from mm-hmm. uh, you know it's got a really good supporting cast around this kid and it's about him having this wild imagination and being utterly convinced that look he just goes to elementary school because his mom says he has to he's you know his his main purpose in life is to be a detective and school is just this thing he does on the side um and it's it's funny but much more in the movie they make clear we we, we know from the books that uh timmy's dad is not in the picture they really don't dwell on it they don't really, mm-hmm. you just know he's got a single mom and that's the situation. In this one, it's very clear. His imaginary friend, who's a polar bear, shows up the day his dad walks out. Mm. And you begin to, it's, it, there's a certain sadness to it. The idea that he's kind of escaped into this uh, imaginary world to cope with, you know, his, his mom is a single mom. He has no siblings. He doesn't seem to have a lot of friends. Um, her mom, his mom is stressed working two jobs. You know, he's in a not-so-great situation, and this is how he copes with it. Now, my my kids loved it. My in-laws loved it. A recurring subplot is that the Russians are out to get him. Uh, <laughs> and, of course, they just, you know, show mustached uh, Portland hipsters. But right. then you see them speaking Russian to each other and, use you know, implanting recording equipment and all kinds of stuff. It really has a fun time blurring the lines between what's happening in his imagination and what's actually happening around him. Got and it. it never really wants to. So on the one hand, it's really good. On the other hand, I can't think. I was trying do to think of other. Do you feel like ones. they've gone? You, okay, so I'll take it back to the darker yeah. thing. Because for a minute there, and it, it is what they say repeatedly with every movie. Like, I'm thinking we're going to do this, but now we're going gritty. to make it yeah. darker and make it grittier. Um, but I think in this case, like, do you feel like they've they've tried to make something that is fantastical a little too realistic? Because it sounds like it's lost some of the humor. So, so here's like it is hysterically funny, but there's an emotional weight to it that is definitely not there in the books. And some of this might be look, you know, I are you telling me this is one of those movies that I won't like because it's not really a comedy? Um, no, it's got a lot of laughs. It's it's goofy. I think it's a sort of I think they wanted to do something. For example, so my guys are now ten and twelve. They picked up on it, but they had no problem. They didn't think it was a you know a sad movie or anything. Again, much of this movie is him and this polar bear following him around, and the idea is that the polar bear is lazy and clumsy and doesn't do anything correct. It's got you know while. So is this one of many that they're going to adapt? Or it certainly implies there. I think there's like seven books in the series so far, and there certainly seems to be sufficient material for this, uh, for them to keep doing this. And it's you know the idea of this wacky the wacky hijinks of this kid who's convinced he's the world's greatest detective you know going around portland on his segue that his mother won in a church raffle um with his looking ridiculous with a scarf around his head and the, the important thing <laughs> is also he's playing this all completely straight 
as if he's like Joe Friday in in Dragnet. You know, at so no point. I, I, any... I'm torn here, Jim, and I assume our listeners will be as well. Do we like this show or do we not like it? Um, I liked it, but I was struck by how much. You know, we, we, there's some book about how people how they adapt books to films, and I think the title is like, how, "Why did you change the nun to a cow?" Um, <laughs> you know, and and I recognize <laughs> you could do certain things in books, and when you try to do it in a two-hour movie, you're gonna have to take some stuff out, and you're gonna have mm. to condense things. Like, I get all that. I don't think I've seen many cases. Oh, I, probably the best comparison I can make. Did you ever end up catching uh, Atomic Blonde with uh, Charlize Theron? No. Okay. Uh, good film. A lot of fun. It's um, It was based on a comic book or a series mm-hmm. of graphic novels. The graphic novels are grim, gritty, super realistic spy stories taking place in Berlin uh, in the, let's say, 80s, right before the Cold War, right before the Berlin Wall comes down. Right? The film is practically like it's a fantastic 1980s music video. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Charlie's there. <laughs> just like, what? There's so all you kinds of, thought it was a lot of fun. Let's right? clarify. There's all kinds of sex in it, right? Um, you know, straight sex, lesbian sex. You know, the whole thing is just you know brimming. You know, it's a lot I, of, oh, wait, it's wait, just, wait. Just one moment. I'm sorry. It looks like an '80s music video. Which, yes. by the way, listeners, when I had too many drinks a few weeks ago, I found a filter that looked like that as well. I I'm and very couldn't help myself but take pictures and send them out because it made me reminded of Jim. Um, but so now you're telling me it's a eighties video with a lot of sex. I'm so shocked that you liked it, Jim Gary. I'm okay. stunned. Indeed. With a, with a vague, you know, cold war vibe. Okay. Right. Exactly. Like also, this is, the, this is basically your perfect film. Okay. It was up there, but it, so then I go like, oh, this is a really good movie. I think I'll go check out the, the, uh. If only they had put Gal Gadot in it instead of ah, Charlize Theron, right? Yeah. Um, and apparently Charlize Theron was like, I want to, I want to do this film, but I want to change it. But every eighties song that had anything that referred to the cold war, major Tom, Oh no. Yes. 99 love balloons. Mm-hmm. Your commissar after the fire. <gasps> yes. Cities and dust by Susie and the Banshees. It's like every chance they get everything. They're like, okay, what can I, you know, what, what makes a reference to London calling by the clash? Anything that's got any cold war, uh, vibes or or something like that. They're I'm surprised put that you in don't there. have a tattoo about this movie somewhere oh, on your body. But so it's one of the things I'm sitting there thinking, like if you make a gritty, super realistic John Le Carre style graphic novel, right? Very real, you know, about you know about being in the uh, being in, in British intelligence working against Stasi in Berlin in the 1980s, and then Charlize Theron comes along and turns it into a, mu- a music video. Does the size of the check make you say, oh, that's okay? Yeah. We're like, wait a second, that's not Mm -hmm. what I made. And I don't know, you know. uh, I mean, I I always hope, and I hope this for everyone that sells their screenplay, that they get, you know, their initial sale and also at least some percentage of royalties. mm -hmm. So that in the event after it goes and they rewrite it and they do whatever. Like, win, lose, or draw, at least you're making some money off of it. Because it does... Well, I mean, but you hear actors talk about this all the time, where they film a movie, and it's nothing like what they thought it was going to be when they were done, because of the editing. One of my all-time favorites, I'm repeating an anecdote that I do not... that I I heard online. I suppose it's entirely possible that this is entirely made up, but it has the ring of truth to it, dear listeners. 
Kyle McLaughlin, one of my all-time favorites, Agent Cooper from Twin Peaks, was in what is generally widely regarded to be one of the greatest cinematic disasters of all time, Showgirls, which I'm sure you're familiar with, Nikki. Oh, yes. That was when Jesse Spano decided to be a stripper. Right? And you know, that's yeah, Jesse so, Spano from Saved by the Bell. And this was enormously hyped, and it was going to be the, you know, uh, erotic thriller of the early 90s or whatever it was. You know, it comes out, and Kyle McLaughlin, you know, it's it's not a great performance by Kyle McLaughlin. And the entire movie is only appreciated now for how kind of like that, oh my God, it's so bad, it's kind of entertaining. <laughs> so like apparently, there's, there's a claim that somebody said that Kyle McLaughlin, during the screening, Kyle McLaughlin, first of all, I believe at that point he was dating the supermodel Linda Evangelista, I want to say. Mm, that sounds yeah. about right. Yeah. All right, you know, so he's dating some supermodel, and the supermodel comes out of the theater crying into the lobby. She hates what she's seeing, including Kyle McLaughlin having simulated sex with Jesse from Saved by the Bell in a hot tub, right? And <laughs> yeah, not horrible. what she was expecting, right? You know, and you know, and McLaughlin comes out. McLaughlin comes out after her and he's swearing like a banshee saying, you know, bleep, bleep, mother, bleep, bleep. You know, I thought we were making an art house film. Yes. <laughs> and so he, he had this idea in his head of what he was making. And then he watched it and it's this cinematic sleazy turd. And what do you do then? And obviously, thankfully, you know, life turned out okay for Kyle McLaughlin. I don't mm-hmm. know if that, you know, like, you know, thankfully, you can bounce back from this stuff. But and by the way, I should put note out: Stephen Pastis, the cartoonist, is one of the co-screenwriters of the Timmy Failure film. Mm. So he had he, at some point he must have been okay with the direction they were heading in. But you kind of well, there, especially so, if Disney's you know, writing you a really big check. Yeah, you know, and it's not you know just you know again. By the way, if you're wondering, no, no one has made an offer on either the Weed Agency or Between Two Scorpions or anything else I've ever written. So this is not a problem I'm ever likely to have. But but that, that's what I was just going to say. But, Jim, like, if HBO comes to you or, or someone comes to you, Netflix comes to you and says, hey, we read your novel. We'd like to adapt this into, like, a series, right? And But we want you to, you know, change some characters. First of all, we want you to add in an awesome character that's, you know, obviously your podcast Co-host. He needs a sassy gay um, sidekick, you know. Yeah. I am not a sassy gay sidekick. No, I want one based yeah, on me. While, that was apparently one and, of the big Oh, yeah, most definitely. Um, yeah, but no, I think, you know, if they come to you and say these things, I think as a, and I respect this 100%, as a writer, as someone who's trying to get into the business, how do you not say, yeah, change it? You're, you're, like, you're, my you're, name's I'm, Jim. It doesn't have to be Jim. You can change my name to something else. Yeah. That's fine. Um, and, you know, my, my guess is that in most of those cases, unless you really love your product and you to, you're, you're, you totally believe it and you totally believe it someday this is going to be made on your terms, you know, chances are you say, okay, Mr. Studio, I'm trusting you with my baby. And hopefully it turns out okay. And in a lot of cases it turns out sort of okay or something. But, you know, and hope, but you know, once you sell the rights to it, the studio mm-hmm. do what they want with it. And if they want to say, we want to turn it into a wacky comedy. We're going to make it a musical Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's going to be what it wants to be. And you, you know, um, I guess all part of the creative process. But uh. well, interestingly enough, that leads me into I, I am very much usually into books that are I'm sorry, movies that are based on books um, and movies that are based on true stories. You know this about me. Um, and I really 
I've watched, I think, every true crime documentary that is now available on the all streaming services across the board. Um, and I'm now getting caught up on all of the true crime movies. And one of my other favorite genres happens to be kind of what I would consider, I guess, I guess it's, it, it's black, it's black movies um, and specifically black history, historical films. Um, and while I'm not someone who will run out and see like 12 years a slave had no attraction for me, uh, hidden figures did loved it. So I tend to like a lot more of like reconstruction and things post slavery. Cause I feel like we focus a lot on things that happened previously. Um, and there were a lot of movies out and recently released and, and released to be streaming, um, because of black history month. Some good movies out there, some good documentaries that came out. Um, I certainly watched a lot of them, but one of them that stood out to me that I wanted to bring up to you guys and specifically wanted to discuss with you, Jim, is a movie called The Best of Enemies. Mm. This is featuring one of your favorites. Uh, mm-hmm. What's uh, Taraji B. Uh, Henson yeah. and, um, and Sam Rockwell. Mm-hmm. They are the leads of what is an absolutely fascinating story based on a 100% true story. And it's about the integration of a elementary school and middle school and then ultimately high school as well. So a school, uh, school district as it moved up through. Um, and in doing this integra- integration, um, they brought the community together and representing the black community was Traji Henson's character and um, and then representing, and no joke, this guy was the president of the, the KKK and was KKK leader of the year. Um, and he was representing the, the, non-se- or the segregationists versus the non-segregationists. And it is a story of how Durham, as a community, handled this situation, how their local politicians handled the situation, but more importantly, it's a story of how the two of them, ultimately, through all of this, you realize they form a very unique mm-hmm. and very real friendship. And what is the most impressive thing about, you understand why these experiments work. They were called charrettes. Um, and what they would do is basically build up, they'd get these leaders from the communities. They were done a couple times during the civil rights movement. So they'd have black leaders and leaders from the white communities come in, and then they'd kind of form a Senate. They'd have people talking. They'd break off into groups, and they'd be forced to sit at assigned tables at lunch to have them talk about things other than the issues at hand. And what ultimately ended up happening is the more people they were able to get to participate in each of these cities, the more you had the black and white people interacting in a way they never had before. Hmm. And so over a two-week period, these people have actually made friends. They, they've actually made connections with people because they had never really thought about them that way before. Um, and so I think that's one of the benefits of these charrettes that were done at that time. But the vote in this particular case came down to he was the deciding vote on segregation or desegregation. They thought they had it in the bag. And he stood up because obviously everyone assumed that he was going to vote to maintain segregation within the cities and they would be held to that vote. And right in front of God and everyone, he stood up and announced his membership. Mm. And he and 
he and she ultimately became very, very good friends. They traveled the country together, giving speeches, talking to other communities, basically saying, like, if we can do this, anyone can do this. Like, it was, you know, it, not to be a Rocky Four moment, um, but, you know, the idea being, like, these two were very real people. He, he, like, he admitted to doing some heinous things as, as the leader of the KKK. And she was kind of the beginning of the Black Panther movement, if you will, down there. So imagine the idea of the two of them becoming lifelong friends. I was going to say, one, it's a, it sounds like it's an inspiring movie, right? It Very sounds like so. the, um, you know, a, a hopeful movie, an optimistic movie. Um, it is very, you know, again, somebody once said about uh, screenwriting, if you set your movie in Las Vegas, you know that whatever else happens in your movie, there's a chance your character is going to go broke, right? That they're going to you mm-hmm. know, end up gambling. You know. If you do a story that is at the core, at the core of it is the civil rights movement. It is dealing with uh, you. you all, everyone is basically living in a situation where there is a risk of violence, that there's an automatic element mm-hmm. of threat, an automatic element of danger. The stakes are very, very clear. And right. they make that very clear throughout this movie um, that the, these were very real threats and not theoretical to these people. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that that was part of what it's. And it's interesting because at the end they show pictures of the real them and they so you know they they actually have them talking and et cetera and it's like it's kind of amazing. I'm glad you enjoyed it. You know, we, when we were getting ready to prep to uh, to do the show. You know, this, I remember seeing the trailer for it and thinking, oh, it looks interesting. I, I think one of the things that jumped out was how much uh, Taraji B. Henson was like, you know, sometimes they try to look glamorous in a historical oh, situation, yeah. right? This is her looking as... Non-glamorous as right? possible. Right? You know, yeah. yeah, but I feel like she very well represents um, her in, in, the, in her spirit and, the, and in the oh, way yeah. that she carries herself. Yeah, but yeah, yeah little... but she does not look like what you I was think. Gonna say, Having Taraji seen, would think like. having seen her look, you know, again, and that thing where you see somebody playing a historical figure, and maybe it's just a matter of um, living in the modern era with modern nutrition or modern plastic surgery, or you know, like they just don't look quite right. They don't match, you know. That is one where you believe she had stepped out of uh, whichever time period it was it mm-hmm. 1971, right? 1971. The, the fashion, every, you know, it looked like the time period as opposed to... Down to, like, her boobs hanging to her waist. Well, like, I, I wasn't going to go there, but yes. you know that, like, rough, But, well, yeah, I mean, like, yeah. they really, I mean, but she has a transformative performance outside of what they do to her yeah. appearance. Um, she's exceptionally strong in this particular role, and the woman that she portrayed was amazing. Mm. Uh, well, good. I, I probably put that on the. Is it on Netflix or anything, or is it? Uh... Yes, uh, Best of Enemies, I believe, is on Netflix. Okay. Because you know, I, I noticed that. Uh, by the way, you know, with, with the coronavirus, maybe you want to do more stuff on Netflix. Maybe you don't want nice. to go to theaters, you know. But. Uh... Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna actually pull this up right now, because again, it, the name of the movie is Best of Enemies, and I thought that was very clever. Mm. Um. In that, I believe it was a based on the book of them. Yeah. Well, I want to it is the best of enemies because best of enemies is actually a documentary about Buckley and Gorbadal. Yes, um, it's called oh, yeah, uh, yes, so. the best of enemies. 
All right. And um, yes. And it, like I said, I thought it was absolutely spectacular. And and again, the characters, I, I keep, I realized when I was talking about the actors and didn't name the characters, which is terrible. Um, the, the true life relationship was between a woman named Anne Atwater and C.P. Ellis, who was the Ku Klux, Ku Klux Klan leader at the time. Mm-hmm. And like, again, it's just absolutely like it's an inspiring movie but i think it's also really telling even even to you know people talk about racial situations that our, our country is in and and whatnot i think one of the most important things that we can always do and things that fix almost all of these problems is actually talk to each other and get to know people and if you get past like the things that you prejudge them on because that's what most people are they're not really racist they just prejudge based on their own experiences things they've mm-hmm. heard we can get past that there's a lot we can get done. Yeah, and recognizing, again, if these two <laughs> can right, overcome differences, right? really any two human beings, Israelis and Palestinians, you know, yes. uh, Irish, uh, Irish Catholics and Protestants, any two people on this earth should be able to, uh, you know, put, you know, look beyond their differences, find some common ground, find some common humanity. And, uh, and the thing yeah. about it is, is, obviously, you know, you go into the movie having very, you know, as the movie progresses, you feel differently about each of the different characters. Mm. Um, so as you say unless you have anything else to add on that you and I I want to, I want to shift gears mm-hmm. to a conversation you and I had earlier this week the let's do off, it okay so yeah so we're jumping so it began on was, was it discussing catfishing or was it LARP it was live action role playing like the idea of taking on a different persona online yes LARPing some people get lost in that and mm-hmm. So where, where should we begin? Where should we, you know? I guess the place that the place to begin is this. We have, you know, been on the interwebs for quite a while now, right? We are now celebrating the, you know, 10th and 15th anniversary of some of the social media and social networking sites. Mm-hmm. We all know about catfishing. There was a movie. Now there's an MTV show that is solely about catfishing. There is a show on my favorite state, on my favorite channel, Discovery ID called Web of Lies, which is all about how people end up dead because of meeting people online and the things that they go through. So here we are all the way into this. And just recently in the news, um, one of the judges from Shark Tank was taken in by an online scam and almost lost $400,000. Her account was able to freeze the money before it actually transferred over. But this is someone who obviously has paid accounts taking care of the money. In addition to that, there's been a couple things that have happened online and different kind of, whether they be communities of, it happens, I think, more on Twitter than anywhere else because it's not required that you identify yourself. But there are a lot of what people consider to be anonymous accounts. Some of those anonymous accounts choose to eventually identify themselves. At one point, I was anonymous um, for many years. I, I was just biased girl. I didn't let anyone know my first real name because there was no need to. Um, I've kind of gotten away from that for a number of reasons, but one of them is because you can be anyone you want to be online. And I decided to present myself like this is Mickey White. This is who I am. And, and those of you who know me personally would know that I am the exact same online as I am in real life. Like there is not a really good online version of me ever. Filtering is not really yeah. a strong suit. Yes. No, not an online, not really. If anything, I think that I'm probably more subdued online. 
Um, I'm the opposite of everyone else in the entire world. I'm much more subdued online than ever, than I am in real life. And, you know, and Jim obviously has had his name fully out there the entire time, experiences something entirely different. However, what we've realized is we have, you know, come into contact with accounts, have friends that have gotten sucked into these accounts where people have decided to, for whatever reason, whether it be for entertainment purposes, whether they plan to at some point set up a scam on money, create what are ultimately avatars or characters that they go online and they play with others' emotions. Now, it's bad enough to think that one person could choose to do this. I introduced the idea to Jim that there, what if a group of, you know, four or five people got together and decided to each develop a character and perhaps there were points for different things. Like you develop the game, right? Whether you want to be the sympathy character, the this character, the that character, the prideful character, the funny character. And as you all interact, what if there are more people who are doing this where they are doing what is ultimately a live action role-playing game where everyone else doesn't know the game is going on. Yeah. No one else knows they're playing. So that was, I guess, where we started, right? Mm -hmm. Was that a good but lengthy explanation? It it was. And it's a weird sense of, I mean, you interact with people on Twitter, Facebook. I think you now have to have, do they they verify something? I don't know how much of that, like, I would not, look, I would never say that the person that you're talking to anywhere is the person. Yeah, until you know that person, Mm -hmm. you you may or may not know that, you know, like, just, just accept that is, that is a consequence of the era that we live in. And that until you really, you know, interact with someone uh, offline, their, their online persona could be uh, entirely made up. What's, what's really kind of striking though, is this um, and what you would, you know, mentioned the other day that I hadn't really crossed my mind is this idea of, so, you know, let's say, you know, people decide like, you know, uh, you probably the best one with Titanium McGrath, right? This wild exaggerated version of an uber woke social justice warrior, you know, uh, uh, persona. Well, yes, you know. definitely. A par- that's a parody. But like, but that's a, that's a knowing yes. parody, right? That's the a knowing that parody account. Yeah. Like if you ever thought, oh, these people are really stupid. I'm going to be that persona, right? I'm going to, I'm going to create a fake version of that person. And I'm going to, mm-hmm. you know, um, I'm, I'm going to troll people by being, you know, this, this persona that I, uh, the, and the there are some exceptionally to... funny parody accounts right? out there yeah. that have no political agenda whatsoever that are just hilarious. Yeah. Um, but I think that that's a very different thing mm. than creating what would ultimately, like I said, an avatar or a persona where, you know, I can go online and, I could create a, a situation where my Twitter followers and my new account that I set up think that I'm a dude mm-hmm. or that I'm black or, you know, I don't know. I mean, like there are a lot of ways that you could change yourself, make yourself single instead of being married, make yourself married, make yourself a mom, you know, like, I don't know. I just, I think there's a lot to it. And so here's my thing. This is, we have been on the interwebs for, like I said, quite a while now, over a decade now. One, a couple questions I'd like to discuss. One, why do we still fall for it, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's one that I'd like to address. And two, what makes people do it? 
Okay. In offline world, right, pre-internet, people go on a date. Is the persona you show someone on a first date the true full you or is it a somewhat edited version of you? In the sense... Go ahead. I was just going to say, to quote Chris Rock, I send a personal representative of myself. <laughs> there you go, right? You know, it is a... Um, it is your best foot forward. You're trying to make a good impression. You want to have a second date. You also want to know if the person you're uh, dating is someone maybe you don't want a second date. You got to see, you know. So, you know, through the course of a relationship, people kind of gradually open up more and more of themselves. And sometimes they open up a little too soon. Sometimes they open up, you know, not soon. You know, like, you know, there's that sense of, okay, you're going to accept showing off a portion, a portion of yourself, but keeping it... Um, you know, you, you want to constantly make, you want to gradually show that because and maybe some people, you know, want to show the whole you, right? Uh-huh. So maybe there's an element of that, right? Or the other time, I'm trying to think of you ever, have you ever run it again? You're probably the exact wrong type of personality to put this question to Mickey, <laughs> but normal human beings. Okay. <laughs> have you ever like been around someone and wanted to impress them? And not really 100% known what you were talking about, <laughs> but tried to act like you were more of an expert than you were, or uh, just, have you tried to fake it, you know, with someone just because you wanted you to make a good impression and you didn't want to admit that you didn't really know something about something or you weren't into something or something like that? Are you kidding me? I'm certain that I have bolstered my way through something. Okay. <laughs> Did it work? Well, usually, yeah. yeah. I mean, for perspective, I think the first the first time my wife and I went dating, our first date, technically, we, we had been friends for a long time. I managed to break out of the friend zone. It was kind of, I, I may be the only human being, only man in the history of, of, of you should uh, write humanity. You write a book about right? that. Um, it, was, it, was, it was not easy. It was, you know, um, it was killing the boyfriend by itself was, was a lot of effort. But anyway. Um, well, and, and you are a very, very special man. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but the point is, so our, we went ballroom dancing. I have no interest in ballroom dancing, but I got to hold her the whole time, <laughs> right? It was this, oh, okay, you want to do that? Let's do that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the sheer number of times people, um, so we, we do like like low level versions of posing as being a slightly different person. Than, Look, even I, even I'm on my best behavior on a first date, right? But yeah, I right. mean, and and in reality, again, those of you who know me know that I am this way all the time. There's not really a whole lot changing of me. But again, you do adjust based on the situation. I do think, though, that you do, especially at the beginning of a relationship, have a tendency to, as you said, put your best foot forward. Yeah. So there's some probably some version of that. But also the idea though the Internet with the, the anonymity of it gives you the ability to be someone totally different. And you can try on that persona in a relatively safe way, you know, and you create this online, you know, whether it's through social media or interacting with people on Twitter or a chat board or, or something like that, you go and you do it. And all of a sudden, um, you know, it's, it's like, it's, it's like acting, right? You're, you're playing a role. And I'm sure as you said, you just, as you just said, live action role playing, except instead of pretending to be Dungeons and Dragons or, you know, uh, whatever else is, uh, you know, getting people. Right. Uh, yes. You know. And so, yes. Instead of that, you are actually, your role is to play a suburban guy who has, you know, he's a single dad and 
you know, power. You're getting oddly or... specific with that. I don't do. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I, no, I'm just saying, like, yeah. I'm making it up as I go along based on things that are not me, actually. Yeah. Um, like, I was doing the opposite of me. And so, because it really could be anyone on the other end that you're talking to, which is why, as you know, I have learned over the years to share less and less of personal details. Um, but I think that, that it's, I'm a terrible person to ask because, one, I don't trust anyone. And two, I cannot pretend to be something that I'm not. So the idea of doing either things that would cause people to trust people less or pretending to be something that I'm not just doesn't appeal to me on any angle. And what's really messed up about all of this is that when you do watch these catfish shows and things of this nature, when you get messed with online, whether it be through Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or wherever they have gotten you, wherever they've gotten their hooks and deals, Snapchat, what have you. Um, it's not usually some guy from halfway around the world. Not to say that doesn't happen. We actually had a guy show up here um, in, a, in a county north of Richmond who met a young girl online and came all the way from Australia. And her mother, I believe, shot him as he was coming in the window. So that's a whole other story for another day. But not saying it doesn't happen, but more likely than not, it's a neighbor from like three houses down that has had a grudge against you since high school or that PTA meeting or that day you pissed her off at the pool. That and is that's kind of what's <laughs> really what is so, I guess, freaky in mind. That's I, that's the part where you get, I guess, a little bit. I get more caught up in like, how does that happen? The, the other thing we had you know mentioned the other day, which I don't say it freaked me out, but you begin to realize how little uh, checks there are against something like this. Um, so let's, as I said, I think Facebook, at least you used to have an email. Account. There was, used to be something we verified. What was the one way, you know, I realized my, my advice on dating isn't just dated, it's carbon dated. But, you know, what was the easiest way to get to know, to, to find somebody? Someone who knows one of your friends, Right. It's like they come right. in with a reference. They, they, yeah. Somebody knows this person. They know they're not an axe murderer. Um, maybe they know a thing or two about them. It's a way of saying, hey, you know, here's somebody who you, uh, who, I, I know this guy, you might like him, you know, or I know this girl, she's really sweet. Let's get, why don't you guys, you know, try going out. So, as you pointed out, on Facebook, uh-huh. you could find some picture of somebody, uh-huh. create a profile, and friend yourself. Right. And become that friend of a friend to just about mm-hmm. anybody. And it's mm-hmm. this, oh, wait a second. <laughs> you know, that 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 recognition of because mm-hmm. you know, the, you don't know all your friends, friends. And mm-hmm. right. And so all of a sudden you can become like it's a way of interacting with people. And just that recognition, by the way, if you, if you happen to be listening to this program and I have not, you know, I have a work Facebook account and I have a personal Facebook account. If we haven't met, I'm, you're not, we're not becoming personal Facebook friends. There's just, right. you know, <laughs> but we, yeah, we have a, no, there's a okay. Facebook yeah, uh-huh. account, which we update, you know, once or twice a year. And oh. uh, <laughs> yeah, we're, like, we're, that. we're on, a, we're on social media, but there's just mm-hmm. certain things where you just don't want that. You know, sorry, folks, there are just certain things I don't share with the world, pictures of my kids, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is and so the, the idea that that'd be a way to break through. Right. The idea of mm-hmm. you can create this. Like, it's one thing to create your, you know, you, you and I were joking. Um, every guy you argue with on, on Twitter uh, who has an egg account, who doesn't have any face, is a former Navy SEAL 
and <laughs> is a PhD, and he's got a law degree and a medical degree, and he makes a million dollars. All you know, all this kind of stuff for your and he loves yeah, Jesus, right? Yeah, there's all you know, um, people who are implausibly perfect at everything, mm. and you know, you know, they're <laughs> right. BS. But the idea of taking on an online persona that isn't unbelievably um, made up and that is, in mm. fact, you know, maybe unbelievably some... mundane is what seems to work. Yeah. Right. And so the idea of creating a persona that's you, but it's not quite you. Right. And you could be mm-hmm. uh, whatever, you know, whatever side of yourself that you keep um, stifled or in check or not, you know, like you, you could be. Uh, you could be obnoxious. You could be, um, I don't know, you, you could, all kinds, your, your id could basically come out in that. And I just, I, I had never thought about how the heck, like, because then how do you protect against that other than, oh, you know so-and-so, how do you know him? Mm-hmm. But even then, like, you, you actually, you turn into the, the, the Cyrano situation. Well, and again, I talked to you, and I'm not going to go into the details on air about this for obvious reasons, about how stalkers use certain things. Yeah, um, we don't want to give people ideas. Exactly, just, yeah. I'm not gonna. Yeah, which is why I'm not gonna go into detail. But I did explain some of the stuff to Jim, and really, I had a stalker at one time. I keep up to date on all of the information that I need to know of ways that they can find you and and ways that they can get at you, and even when you think that you're protected, and it's really shocking, right? I was gonna say the, the the hard lesson and the frightening lesson of anecdotes like that are that really innocuous comments that you mm-hmm. think are not really revealing much of anything about you, about where you buy stuff, where you anything regarding your location, anything regarding. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is the sort of stuff where you look at this and you're like, these are the sorts of things that spies follow, mm-hmm. right? You know, looking, reviewing a conversation for anything that provides any indication about locations, patterns, and routines. Um, mm-hmm. Where do you shop? Oh, where'd you get that? Well, the moment you tell that, you know, you answer that question. You're saying, here's where you sh- where you do your shopping. Which right. is why, as again, you will find me putting less, like, there was a certain period of time in my life where I decided that I was going to stop putting very specific things online. And I almost never, even if, like, I'm taking a picture and I'm live with friends. We'll ask them not to post it till we're not there anymore. Yeah, it's just a again, you, you know, in a better world we wouldn't have to do this sort of thing, and you don't really like to get you, you don't want to spend a lot because you end up living your life. You know, there's one thing I like living your life with defensive driving, mm-hmm. and then there's one that's like you're you're living your life in a state of paranoia. <laughs> you know, you're constantly worried about uh, how is this information that I'm putting out there? Is there any way this could be used against me? Is there any way this somebody could you know? Uh, figure out things about me I don't want them to know. Um, I, I was thinking. About, I, I would just like to say one of the things that I think Carrie, Katy Perry might want to look into this. <laughs> good. And I, I'm going to say for a good transition. No, no problem. I think that she might want to check into this because it feels to me, Jim, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. But our dear sweet Katy Perry, who I really don't think is that sweet or dear, um, is pregnant, and she is currently engaged to Orlando Bloom. Congratulations to them. The baby is due this summer. They're planning on getting married, I guess, afterwards now. I don't know. Matters not to me. What she did do, however, was put out a video yesterday uh, to a new song where she shows off the baby bump looking, you know, nothing but sexy as a pregnant woman always does (laughs) with the flowing gowns and whatnot and a song called Never Wore White. 
and you know there's this whole vibe of like she's pregnant and they're not married and you know that again that whole there's just a very urethral vibe about it and then my first thought Jim was she was married to Russell Brand did she not wear white when they got married you know, it's interesting. I, I could, I could Google the uh, the pictures because there. Because I'm gonna be really pissed off if she wore white. Like, because again, my first thought was just immediately, like you were married before, and now you're just trying to pretend like you weren't. Because it has that vibe, you know. Like, and and it just. Uh, mm. You know, I can see a lot of pictures of them together, but I mm-hmm. do not see anything resembling a wedding. Pi- oh, wait a second. Yeah, in fact, she did work. Wait, is that her? No, it's somebody else. It's some other <laughs> Never mind. Oh, no. Uh, but, it's, but again, it's, it's okay, the other so, wife. Okay. Yeah, right. Okay. So help me out here. She was married to him for over a year. I no, wait, I'm she... sorry. Got married to, married to Maui. I have a picture. Yes, she did wear white. So, okay. Fact check. So... False. False. <laughs> false. false. And October 2010, Maui, Hawaii. You know. There you go. Thank you. And again, I... Oh, wait, maybe not. Maybe this picture isn't from that event. <laughs> I'm going to kick you in the face. Like, I swear. No, listen. Listen to me. It doesn't matter, Jim. I need to know why Katy Perry is trying to make us feel like she is somehow, like, I, I don't know what this, I, I, I feel like she's trying to make me feel some kind of way, and I don't like it. Okay, so here's something kind of interesting, and maybe this this is a good way we can bring in her um, her nemesis Taylor Swift. Are they are they they're still they still hate each other, right? Or did they? Oh no no no! Now they're friends again because remember Taylor's all woke now. Oh, okay, great. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Um, Part of her wokeness was making up with Katy Perry apparently, and also write, stop writing bad songs about them because they have terrible writing. It's like diss tracks about each other. It was awful. Hear that, Israelis and Palestinians? <laughs> it's it's right up there with um, uh, best of enemies. You know. The, the... <laughs> yes, yes, it's coming, West Bank. If they can do it, you can too. This is what brought the U.S. and the Taliban to the negotiating table. Um, so, <laughs> but here you go. So you have this. Um, both a lot of on the one hand, most of our pop stars are perfectly fine with singing songs that other people write. But deep down, they want to be the songwriters, right? They right. want to have the creative inspiration. People say, "Wow, that is a beautiful song. That is one of the all-time classics." And they don't just want to be known for performing it; they want to be known for the one who wrote it, right? This Absolutely, was, you know, yeah. Out of yes. and, and of course, they want it to be out of their heart. They don't want to sing. First of all, I mean, out of cultural appropriation, uh, the the freak out they're having over the story uh the publishing world about the you know new novel about a mexican migrant that was uh, yeah, the, was written by a white woman how dare it um oh know, is the that only... the one that everyone's flipping out about yes right so now imagine let's say you're Katy perry and you sing a song about from the perspective of a you know lonely 14 year old african-american girl <laughs> right <laughs> thermonuclear reaction right <laughs> So the only thing that it's okay for Taylor Swift or Katy Perry or any of these pop stars to sing about is their personal experience. Okay. Uh huh. All right. Um. So the there was a, for back in the 2000s there was a UK pop star named Robbie Williams who had some pretty good movies or pretty uh-huh. good songs. You know they're okay. Uh, he did one that was like all Frank Sinatra retro. You know 50s and 60s uh, big band. I kind of like that. But swing. Uh-huh. Uh huh. 
But he did a, one in which, you know, he was constantly being pursued by female fans and they tear off all of his clothes. And then it gets weird in that they tear off like parts of his body, right? Mm. And it was all about. And so um, I remember. Kind of was, like Taylor's new The Man video. Right? So there was this uh, snarky guy on, on MTV who said, hey, you know what? When I hear celebrities singing songs about how difficult it is to be famous, I want to tear my skin off too. Uh, <laughs> and I, I love that. I, you, you very rarely saw MTV stars taking shots at the people whose videos they were introducing. So. Perfect. Uh, but so the idea, the, the so that's the thing is that it's if you say subconsciously through through wokeness or through whatever else uh, that it's only okay for Katy Perry and Taylor Swift and these other big stars to sing lives about their personal experience, then you're going to get songs that are about how hard it is to be Katy Perry and how hard it, like, Britney did. You know, almost every pop star does some version of it's hard to be me. And by the way, I'm sure it is. You live with almost no privacy. You you know all you know all your breakups are headline news and all that stuff. But you know what? I said or, I believe I actually said this in one of our last podcasts that I believe that Taylor Swift is an exceptionally talented songwriter and musician and singer. She's just you know the, the rest of it doesn't mean that everything else is good. Um, however, I I do think that we have a lot of people putting out really bad songs because they can, you know, tech them up. They put a beat behind them. There's certainly, you know, you can get away with a lot more with a good producer now. He's actually, you know, producing the music versus the talent behind the microphone. Mm-hmm. And so I think that plays a role in it as well. But I mean, like, can't, they, uh, again, I, I don't have a problem necessarily with the content of the songs normally. I mean, Katy Perry can't write a song to save her life. I don't care what anybody says. Write at me. I don't care. Um, Her songs aren't good. There's a couple songs that she has had that were hits that were just very poppy, and you kind of got the impression she probably did not write them. Um, This one just felt so disingenuous because she was, like, marketing her pregnancy and her marriage and her relationship all at one time, and... I don't know. Also erasing the whole marriage to Russell Brand thing. Yeah, and by the way, in case anyone was wondering, this was one of those, you know, Dennis Rodman, elect- Carmen Electra, you know, less than a week type ones. It was 14 months. Um, yeah. You know, whether you think that's a, you know, uh, you know, the weird thing about this again is that first of all, one one interesting possibility. Can she say like, you know, you know, that doesn't count? I realize now that you know that wasn't the real thing. Sure, absolutely. But don't force us to try to pretend like, you know, you're a virgin, especially when you're pregnant. It's weird. Well, there's that and also the sense of um, Katy Perry seemed to have this this perfectly nice pop culture persona um, of being, you know, like she had this kind of like uh, obviously she, you know, you, you couldn't get her to wear anything except latex. Um, but she also was like this kind of like there's like. The, the weird 50s vibe, you know, this kind of like old also, school glamour yeah, she's girl. She's a host on American Idol. Yes, right. You know, but, so then, but then she got the short hair and she got woke, right? And mm-hmm. there was a whole age of that. And for obvious reasons, people were, uh, you know, uh, I, I think if you've built your persona on one type of image, some people are not necessarily going to love the, you know, the alteration of that image. But fine, whatever. It's her life. She can try it. That's so funny because I actually, like, completely, until you talked about her doing her woke thing, forgot about that whole period, that right? phase you she know. went through. Like, completely uh, wiped it out of my mind because, again, 
I think of like for me, this is like Katy Perry. <laughs> this is Katy Perry's career <laughs> in my timeline. Yeah. It goes fireworks, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, dark period, um, American Idol. There you and go. Right now. The entire dark period, um, you know, like there was, I, I, you kind of, you know, some people could say it's her getting woke. I also have this nagging sense that it might have been, I want to be taken seriously. Mm. Oh, definitely. But she also put out a song called Swiss, Swiss, Bish. Which yeah, which was, that was all part of means the, that, that part of you, yeah. you no longer going to be taken seriously about anything. That was one of her diss songs about Taylor. But yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, but again, a net, you know, this this sense of like, you know, fairly or not, maybe she will maybe you're know, like, oh goodness, why isn't there a part of me that you know, why can't I write the serious songs? Why can't I be seen as you know, whatever? I, I don't know what persona she wanted to be. Well, I mean, you you did it by having dancing cupcakes on your tatas uh, in one of the music <laughs> videos, you know, like. <laughs> and of course, we will always be grateful to Katy Perry for giving us Left Shark. And Left Shark, right? I mean, you know. Left Shark was one of, you know, is by far one of the best things of the last decade. And I feel like we, you know, we often forget that Katy Perry was the one who delivered that for us. When we were talking about great Super Bowl uh, halftime shows, I thought Mm -hmm. hers was perfectly, in part because of this sense of, like, the, the, (laughs) the narrative that just popped up with this idea of, oh, there was some sort of, like, some poor guy who didn't know any of this stuff. Had to make deal, you know, suddenly had to uh, uh, substitute the last second, didn't know the routine and just had to wing it. And it was it was kind of there was a certain charmingness to, you know, look, in life, we've all been left shark. We want to be right shark, but we're often turned out to be left shark, you know. Um, <laughs> we want to be left, want to be right shark. But we end up, you should put that on a T-shirt. That's very yeah. nice. I like that. I like that a lot. I um, you know, it's amazing. I just realized we've actually been recording for um. <laughs> oh my goodness, we're past uh, an hour and a half. Time yeah, flies, Mickey. Yeah, I All just right. realized that. I saw we were past the one thirty mark, and I thought, you know, we should probably wrap this up. As you guys can probably tell, um, Jim and I could do this um for hours, and when we're not on air, sometimes we do. Um, so we try to you know, edit it down just for your benefit. And we do appreciate the fact that you tune in. And I don't know if you've noticed, Jim, but our last little podcast has been uh, just really monsters on hits and whatnot and people listening at new venues um, and new areas. So we certainly appreciate that. Uh, obviously, you can find us at SoundCloud, iTunes. Um, you can listen to us really anywhere that you listen to podcasts. And all you have to look for is the Jim and Mickey show or hashtag T-Jams. Jim, do you have anything coming up that they should be on the lookout for? Good heavens, no, it's the coronavirus out there. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> That's my boy. Right but as there. usual, we'll be around social media. <laughs> yes, we will be around social media. So if we all do end up quarantined, at least we'll have Twitter. So um, thanks again for listening. We will be back soon. I uh, do want to give a shout out to everyone who has reached out about Mr. Bias. We still appreciate your love and your prayers. Uh, you can, again, find us on Twitter and Facebook at The Jim and Mickey Show. I'm Mickey White. He is Jim Garrity. And you have been listening to the one, the only Jim and Mickey Show. <laughs>